The Book of the Five Rings. Book of the Five Rings. Written in 1645, I think, or 1650, originally. Um, how's, is it still, like, in paperback, or? <laughs> it's been released in 2021 now. I was joking. Obviously, if it's a 500 no. or 450-year-old book or whatever, it's, hold on, what's my mass? Yeah, something like that. Um, it was. Come out on Kindle in 1645. <laughs> uh, I just wonder if it's in, like, carved in stone or no it's carved on my uh, Kindle Oasis screen Kindle Oasis um, do you know what book I'm reading at the moment Jonathan I bet it's a bit of a boring one you might have seen it I've Instagrammed it every now and then a couple of times when I have been reading it so you might have seen it it's like a is it no no Hungry Brain been long on that has me uh, two or three years ago I, wrote, I read that not long after obviously we saw him talk um, honestly by the book I, I it bored me. Mm. So it was a hard book to swallow in terms of it being very scientific. Um, albeit, I did think it took uh, took a lot out of it in terms of the general mechanisms of things like the reward system and the um, the kind of his hypothesis of like lipostats and and settling points that type of thing. It was good. Problem with those books is they need they need to be hit on a lot more people than they do, yeah. but they make it so. He make it so science heavy. People just get bored and like they don't and they don't get anything out of it. I th- I think he 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 did a good job of um, taking the scientific parts of it and bringing it into some realms of kind of practicalness. That's not a word, but um, practicality is that a word? That is a word. Yeah. But I think it's still probably aimed more at your practitioner that can then kind of take it away and use it with clients rather than. I guess like the average person not saying that it isn't it couldn't be used for the average person but yeah it is quite science heavy still but I did enjoy it but it's not that it's not even a nutrition book I'm, I'm trying to find it I, I can't find it find what on Instagram oh no it's probably not even on there now mate I said I, I have Instagrammed it at some points so you might have caught it at some point in the history of your life not. should I just tell you that'd be a yeah. lot easier um, Yuval Noah, uh, Noah Harari is the author Sounds like an Italian yeah. porn star. Uh, I'm not sure he's Italian. In fact, I don't even know what nationality he is. Um, huh? he's a, I don't know. A book called Sapiens. You must have heard of that. Have you heard of Homo sapiens? Yeah. Yes. Well, it is about the species Homo sapiens. Yes. Uh, I'm yeah. only about 60 or 70 pages in, so I haven't read loads of it yet. But yes, it's all about the history of mankind. Of where we came from. Uh, where we've been, where we going, where's where's humanity going? Uh, yeah, all of the above. Um, uh, well, I'm, assu- I'm assuming the does it what mention AI? No, but um, actually, I'll I'll talk to you about something about that in a minute. Actually, remind me. Um, no, I've, I haven't got this far yet because I'm still something like six hundred and fifty thousand years ago. So uh, yeah, certainly not there. Because I guess obviously human beings or, hu- or homo sapiens, I should say, and the different forms of species under under the homos, homo erectus, homo neanderthal, Neanderthal, whichever way you want to pronounce it, depending on where you're from. Um, and uh, I think potentially, which isn't in the book, but has since, the homo pithecus. Mm. Um, but I think it's come out since the book, as in like a new species perhaps that might have existed that we, that, you, that I guess at the time of writing that book, didn't know about. Um, hmm. but it's interesting to hear about kind of how humans developed into like basically why the other types so I guess for those and it, this might be if it's no, no interest to anyone listening but I guess like we're all part of the same um, I can't remember what terms to use now I should probably remember but like breed or same species but it's like having different types so a bit like a I don't know different types of dogs but they're all dogs type thing you have different species of dogs but they're all they're all under, like, they're all under the family of dogs so Obviously, like Homo sapiens, Homo neanderthals, whatever, all kind of the same species, but different different breeds of them almost. And again, I'm sure it wasn't the term you used, but anyway, why are we the only ones left? Where did all the rest go? And I guess it explores that that idea of how we kind of came about, or how we did we kill off all the neanderthals, or you know, did they just die out, or I don't know, whatever happened. But it's, it's so far, it's pretty interesting. I quite like it. 
he were harder. Well, I think the idea was that they were actually harder, um, but we were a bit more clever right. and more socially... Um, Mali- hmm. basically we acted better socially and kind of then could group up a bit better uh, kind of got on in larger groups and obviously that's a lot more powerful than just one you know like a smaller group of neanderthals type thing but homopithecus i understand it was apparently some sort of giant motherfucker oh. um so i think they found up somewhere in asia what they think is where the legend of the yeti uh may have arrived from where does where does where does where does he or she fit into the timeline I, I don't know because it's not in the book yeah. but um, what amazed me and this you could relate this back to nutrition because I guess the hunter-gatherer type of environment that we inevitably have lived in terms of our genetics for hundreds of thousands of years like you know 699,000 years odd or whatever that is if my math's any good um, and then the industrialised revolution uh, which is only the last what 70 60 50 i don't know how many years like a few de- like you know a few decades that's a very small amount of time that our genetics have kind of been evolving and it's no wonder that we now kind of don't have the right reward systems and kind of like natural eating behaviors to live a healthy lifestyle so could there be at some point in the future a reduction of the level of obesity naturally yeah, I think if we continue this evolution and our environment stays the same for the next several hundred thousand years, yeah, or maybe several tens of thousands of years. I mean, the idea would be like, obviously, we evolve over time to adapt to our environments and circumstances, yeah? But the problem is, is we have evolved so quick, or our our environment and our circumstances have evolved so quickly the last hundred years or so or, le- or less. We are kind of like genetic involvement hasn't been able to catch up in time. So we still have all of these kind of genetic uh, drivers like reward systems in terms of food and behaviours and stuff that are no longer very helpful in our current environment. That's the idea. So the, our drive to eat and our will to survive in a world of abundance are not a very good thing, but they were a very good thing in a world of famine. I don't think, think about it now, we will ever catch up because we can evolve yeah. faster and faster and we never catch up ever no. and, he, and, he, and here comes what I wanted to say to you about AI so have you ever heard of and I obviously I'm ripping this off kind of Rogan so for those that hate Rogan switch off now but um, I like Rogan for the most part I think mo- you are I can't see why you would hate him uh, a lot of people just don't like the, the fact that he kind of speaks with authority on subjects where he probably shouldn't but I don't think he does I, th- I mean I think he does speak with authority but I think he'll often at points in his life anyway caveat it say like look what the fuck are you listening to me i'm a comic and a ufc commentator i don't claim to be any different i just mm. think i know shit and have an opinion on shit but actually like you shouldn't probably listen to me which is true really like everyone can have an opinion on shit it doesn't mean people should listen to him um yeah. and you know like the whole recent stuff about taking ivermectin for coronavirus <laughs> uh it's got himself into a little bit of trouble uh not really trouble is it but obviously again he's been ripped for that but anyway by the way um so have you ever heard of the uh, simulation theory? The simulation theory? No. Now, let me explain. So, right, you've obviously experienced or have are aware, are aware of things like AR, VR, virtual reality, augmented reality type stuff, yeah? So you get yeah. the idea. You know, you kind of stick yeah. a hat suit on and a fucking pair of goggles and you kind of feel like, oh, we're in this weird world where I feel like I'm somewhere else. But, you know, it's all, all, all um, augmented reality or virtual reality stuff, right? obviously that's kind of come about in the past however like you know 10 5 i don't know how when it first started to come about but virtual reality has been around kind of for a little while hasn't it but it's developed very very fast right to a point where it's pretty good now but obviously not lifelike or realistic yeah yeah do you think in the next five to ten years it would be too much of a stretch to say at some point in that period we're probably going to have something that almost feels undistinguishable from real life or even if it was t- 20 years I think within I think within ten years I would say the probability is pretty high. Yeah. Okay. I would agree. I would say certainly within twenty years the probability is high that we'll have something that would almost be indistinguishable from real life. That's what I think. So this is this is where stimulate stimulation. Oui, that's a different thing. Stimulate <laughs> simulation theory comes in. In that, would it be a stretch to say that 
that may have already happened and we're actually all now in a simulation as we speak but we don't know it aka aka kind of matrix style that is a good way of thinking about you if you if you now you said like that because if you just framed that without mentioning the first bit yeah if 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 i said to you do you think we're in a simulation you'd be like what the fuck are you talking about wouldn't you I remember someone saying before there's a higher probability than you think of us actually being in a simulation. That was probably was me. Maybe that, you. That was probably me who said it, yeah. Because that was where I was going next. They're, obviously, the reason I got it from Rogan, because he had a guy who was not a simulation person, like as in like he didn't work in that role, but he was some sort of like actuary or something really good. Really, He was really good with statistics. His job was something to do with statistics, right? And he's basically saying that when you work at look at, at probabilities and probability theory, the probability was that it was more likely than less likely. That's basically what he came out with. And obviously, when you think about it, you think, well, yeah, it's not unrealistic to think that at some point we'll have something where it's indistinguishable. And if that's the case and you and you kind of agree that far, then it's hard to then say, well, you know, if the probability is more likely than unlikely, like, shit, it makes you really think, doesn't it? What's the probability of we in a simulation, but they're also in a simulation of somebody else? <laughs> Do you know what's funny? I actually had this conversation with a... Uh, with with someone else during this week and they said to me fucking hell if this is a simulation why the fuck have they made it so boring <laughs> and i was like mm, yeah fair point actually. as in like why isn't life more exciting if if that's the you know the simulation that's been chosen and i didn't you know, who knows what's yeah, the answer your life choices are, isn't it? yeah but if it's simulation do we actually have choice are we actually making any choices or are we just living a kind of mapped out simulation for us it appears we have a choice then well, you feel like you have a choice, yeah, but it doesn't mean you have. I mean, you start going into determination theory now in terms of whether you even have any choices anyway, regardless of the actual simulation aspect. I mean, that's another whole conversation about, like, some people believe in determinism, um, where, obviously, the kind of the idea is that you don't actually have any idea or choice in what you do and that you're kind of just living out the actions that are already kind of set for you by some, I don't know, whatever the reasons are, because I don't know it enough to, to really comment, but... Um, I suppose some higher deity power entities kind of already decided like a god has decided what's going to happen to you and you're just kind of living it out despite the, the belief that you might have some choice you haven't. So this is the people who think that everything happens for a reason type of thing rather than you are going because I could, I could quit my job now if I, want, if I had a choice. I am got a choice now I could quit my job tomorrow if I wanted to. But if you did quit it who says it was your choice? Because perhaps you were always meant to quit your job. Okay, perhaps. Okay, if there was a case of like, oh, you, you, you're always destined to quit that job, but are you maybe the choice is just a time frame you quit, quit it in. But whatever time you end up quitting it in, perhaps that was always determined that you were always going to quit it in that time. And this is where the argument will you never you'll never win the argument because obviously that's the idea. And I think I think the person that comes from an, from a place of that brings comfort to people to think that it's not something they're taking responsibility for and it's out of their hands. But also allows people to make excuses for doing stupid things they do as well mm. what like as in just putting on weight all the time or living on healthy lifestyles it's not my fault it's determination theory that has been predetermined for me maybe but i mean surely what people want to take was try and try and take responsibility for their for themselves especially their health i mean considering when you've got one body it won't be well will there be another one Will there be another one? Well, perhaps you don't need another body. Perhaps, you know, you can be some sort of bio, uh, artificial, hybrid thing. Did you see the thing on Discovery? I think it was about two years ago, maybe three years ago. It's called The Thousand-Year-Old Man on Discovery. And they were they were looking at the technology we've, we had in whatever it was, 2017, 2018. And they just extrapolated it out like 30, 40, 50 years this is what we could have in 50 years' time, when they basically, you could literally use, you were, you were so old that you couldn't fit any more into your brain, no, no more, you couldn't learn anymore because it was too full. And you could just renew your blood by filtering it through whatever it was. And then it being, could legitimately be at one point in time a thousand-year-old man? And they think, but in current technology, within the next 50 to 100 years, possibly. And they were talking about, you know, having your personality downloaded into a, onto a computer somewhere, cloning your body. So effectively, if there's an issue with mm-hmm. either one, you just download it back in or change the body. Like, you are you still the same person? 
So are you really living a thousand years or just a copy of you? Hmm. But it's not distinguishable from anybody else around you. You look the same person, but really, it's like Trigger's broom. You know what I mean? That is, that is the question. Uh, also, would you want to? I mean, I don't know. I, obviously, that's what uh, the, the sentientness of us, what separates us from other um, species, really, isn't it? In that we, we all know that we're going to die at some point. Like we have these feelings and emotions and fear of death, which kind of I don't believe many or, or we know or any other animals in the kind of different species would uh, would would have this idea of that you know life's going to end at any point. I guess that does drive us to do a lot of stuff that mm. we perhaps wouldn't do otherwise. And it does drive people to live in the past or the future and not live right now. Because hmm. you wouldn't do that. What, what's that? Uh, and I, I'd be honest, it's probably some samurai or maybe in the bloke who wrote your book i don't know um like a, a quote that's probably really bad it's probably someone i should really know who said it but i remember there's a quote that stood out a little bit around like everyone dies twice have you heard that yeah um i know, I know john danaher said it but i can't remember who he was referring it from let's have a look uh oh oh, oh. everyone dies twice never forget andrew let's have a look is this Oh no, okay, this isn't what I thought. This isn't what I thought it was. Maybe it's not everyone dies twice. Everyone has two lives? Maybe it's that. Uh, let's Google. Sorry, everyone. As in, like, everyone listening. Everyone has two. I know this is the most boring podcast ever. But I think brilliant, I do. I, I think it's fucking brilliant, boy all. Um, everyone has two lives. I mean, actually, I probably should have just read out the quote, shouldn't I? Um, everyone has two lives. The second one begins when you realise you only have one. Now, obviously, that stood out to me before because I kind of think like we all kind of know we're going to die at some point and obviously i guess it seems pretty logical that most people would live differently if they kind of knew that their life was going to end tomorrow as in like your final steps today wouldn't would be pretty different if you suddenly knew that like you know the age old kind of um epiphany of that are oh, you know if someone gets ill they then start doing different stuff or want to live out the last years of their lives doing stuff that, that they kind of thought they'd always have time to do but now running out and I think if you kind of realise that, then that kind of does make sense how like motivating that type of quote could be in terms of you know the second one realises when you only have one. One hundred percent. But I think you've always got the you've always got the thing of what happened to me type of thing as well. You know what I mean? People think they're going to live till whatever age eighty. What's the average age? Eighty one or whatever it is. People always think they'll get there, won't they? Yeah. And it just it's, you could be you could tell me that crap now in ten minutes time. Who knows? And you're gone. On a similar on a similar vein to that, John Danher, man, they asked. I think he was asked, "Are you scared of death?" Something along those lines, and he said, "No," and he said, "And there's Lex Friedman." He said, "Why?" He said, "Were you scared before you were born?" He said, "What do you mean?" Well, you were, you weren't you weren't you there was you wouldn't exist, yeah. And I've also explained to people, I'm like, "Where were you <clears throat> before you were born?" Because now you can see, you can feel, you can touch, you can hear. Well, you, literally, you 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 haven't been around an, an infinite amount of time more than you've been around. Because you were like, where were you five billion years ago? You were just like, whatever, matter floating about the universe. So should you really be scared of death when one day a year and then one day it's just nothing? You can't even see dark. You know what I mean? I've also experienced people who don't get me. When he said it, I was like, oh, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I mean, that that's, again, I think that comes from a place of soothing almost in that why fear death when, like, if your belief is very much a, there is, I guess if it's different if people believe in the afterlife and they believe that kind of their actions on earth now will lead to some consequences post-death, which I guess if you're religious or whatever, then you know, there's some, some kind of things you'd be thinking about in that aspect. But if you don't believe that and you're very atheist or just believe that, you die and again you just kind of go back to that pre-birth existence of just matter and you're not a thing you have zero consciousness you are literally you know you don't remember anything before and you won't remember anything after then that's kind of a bit soothing to think well doesn't actually matter what you fucking do now other than just enjoy your time on earth and then fuck off after basically mm. <laughs> um which is more reason why people should worry less about weight loss and worry more about having fun and that's not to suggest throw everything to the fucking balls to the wall and just eat everything in sight and just enjoy yourself and have everything you enjoy because um there is an element of that may have mean you have less time on this earth than more time 
Um, but I do kind of feel like we worry a little bit too much about weight loss as a society and that, you know, matching these ideals. Because you're, you're going to die soon at some point anyway, so... Yeah. Maybe, that's, maybe that's not the thing to say on a nutrition podcast. Yeah, but, how, but if, you, if you lived a healthier lifestyle, which would probably result in weight loss anyway, you would probably be able to function better to have a better life. This is half the time my argument around when people say about, oh, you know, like, you're not going to live forever. Fuck it, I'm going to enjoy myself. But there is an element of, yes, that is true. You're not going to live forever and you should enjoy yourself. So I may, may sound like I'm going to contradict myself slightly now, given what I just said. But I also kind of want to not only live as long as possible, but I only want to live as long as possible on the condition that I live in the condition that I can do the things I want to do and actually kind of have a better quality of life. Because there's no point living... 105 when you've got 50 years of that 105 years stuck in a fucking old age pensions home bedridden because you can't do anything that is not a life and that is completely counter to the point of living life to the fullest and no one can tell me that someone who's morbidly obese is happy all the time knowing that even just basic things you do that mean you would have for granted they can't do mm. No, I agree. Like you properly, you have reinforced things. You can't fit out the doors properly. Can't fit in aeroplanes. You can't go on rides. And as you get older, the condition gets worse and worse and worse to the point where, like, yeah, you can't even do anything. You can't move. You can't. You're bedridden. You can't move anywhere. Like that type of quality of life. I think that. I think the the perspective comes from when you kind of think about actually what do you really value do you value drinking loads do you value kind of eating loads of junk food and just kind of eating all the foods you want yes okay we do enjoy a lot of those foods but i enjoy them in the right perspective i think in that they aren't the thing that make me interesting they aren't the thing that make me like overly i enjoy the foods but they don't make me like a decent person they don't make me they don't make my entire life so you kind of have to put the right level of stock in those sorts of things that makes sense because if you put all the stock in like they're the things that make life so enjoyable then i'll be honest you value the wrong things in my opinion like you shouldn't value eating fucking shit all the time as in like oh that's what i enjoy in life that's what i'm going to do okay well then you need to find funny better things to do mate and value more because you know different it's a different thing if someone says i value going to a particular restaurant which happens if serve whatever shit food because i'm there with friends and family who i enjoy spending time with blah blah blah, blah. that's a different scenario yeah. But, say if they only enjoy the food and nothing else, it's like you need to fucking reevaluate your life. No, uh, but you and but you can enjoy the food, in my opinion. That you can yeah. think oh, actually that this is a very valuable experience for the food only. But if that's what your entire life revolves around, and you want to do that all the time, that's the only thing you want to do. Like basically, if you like, if eating chocolate is like the best thing in the world to you, and that's all you want to do all the time, and that you don't actually value kind of more interesting stuff, then yeah, there's I think there's that's fundamentally a bit of the problem. And I'll be honest, like that comes to a bit what we said we might talk about today. And obviously, we've gone off on loads of topics and tangents here, so maybe bring it back into this now. Um, this idea of kind of what generally people value is common, but not perhaps what we should see as normal. So I suppose, like, just for me to quantify that a bit more in you know kind of actual detail or, or examples. That it is very common for people to eat like junk food for most of their meals or like just non-nutritious nutrient de- uh, nutrient void hyper palatable foods a lot of the time um but that doesn't that doesn't make it that it or it doesn't mean that that should be normal for people and i guess that's that that's the idea of like obviously what should be normal is actually you should enjoy some of those foods a, like very infrequently um obviously everyone's kind of frequency of those foods are going to vary a, di- a bit differently but i think on the whole and across the board generally we have far too high a percentage of our diets has like non-nutritious uh ultra processed type of palatable foods but that's now become as perceived as like normal way of eating for a lot of people for most people for general society where it shouldn't be so it's kind of like that idea of like that's that's now common but should it be normal no normal should be actually be like you know like with the the, the rules or the messages that we put out there to clients and to messages to people that listen to us 80 90 percent of your food should be unprocessed um unprocessed single ingredient based whole foods that center around lean well actually not start with lean meats but plant-based fruits vegetables whole grains legumes 
nuts, seeds, may or may not include lean proteins, fish, seafood, etc., etc. That is that is nutrition in a nutshell. Basically, diet on that stuff, ninety percent of the time, and generally it'll be okay. Yeah, uh, actually, but, can, sorry, go on. You go. There you go. I was just going to say, and the funny thing is, if you kind of force or skewed your diet generally to be ninety percent that unprocessed single ingredient whole food type diet that i just spoke about that actually taps into the type of reward systems that we kind of spoke about previously kind of this idea of reward systems that haven't evolved to kind of meet or match the current environments we're in now that kind of helps avoid some of those problems because eating the junk food the ultra processed hyper palatable high variety foods that we have are what's triggering our reward systems to continually overeat and obviously therefore driving an, an obesogenic environment for people if you didn't do that and actually you ate far less of that stuff and you focus mostly around kind of the 80-90% whole food type diet, you, those reward systems wouldn't get triggered anywhere near as much. So yeah. it's kind of like self-prophesizing or self-fulfilling, if that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. But then and the secondary goal then of, of weight loss would become easier and would happen eventually hmm. as well. And you know what you're talking about before, it's, it's, it's a norm to eat shit food most of the time. It's like, if you go to a restaurant and you order something that's particularly healthy, people are like, what are you that for? Yeah. And like, that's what I want to. You carry on feeling like you shit and eating shit. I'll carry on feeling good mm-hmm. and eating well. Uh, and it's like, it's like alcohol. I used to go out from, when I was a youngster, a teenager, and not drink. People looked at me stupid and like, but I don't like it. You focus most of your life on alcohol. And people still do in their 40s, mind. And again, to me, it's fucking sad. Like, get a fucking grip of yourself. Can't wait to go with a wine type. Like, fucking hell, if that's all you can get on, if that's all, don't get me wrong. There are people in depressive situations which alcohol may make it a difference to them in the moment. But normally, I don't, I just don't get why people are like, oh, yeah, it's Friday, can't wait to go and get steam. And I'm like, Pfft. what, so you just waste your fucking Saturday minging around in bed? In fact, all feeling like shit, and like I don't get it. And these are coming from like career professionals. You're like, surely to God, you don't have to stop drinking alcohol. Alcohol is, for most, from from, from my point of view, brings nothing to the table at all. Yeah. And it's like, but I understand people who like it's like Europeans, isn't it? Europeans will go out with family to eat good food, and they will and they will have a wine. They don't go. I can't go down to get steam, and they go. I can't wait to go tonight and meet my family and what and do whatever and have a glass of wine. It's like they, the Europeans have got it much better than we've got it. We are very much a gluttonous, yobbish culture yeah. when it comes to alcohol, especially. M- m- basically, we don't enjoy it in moderation, in line with kind of our or or, or a generally a generally a generally healthy kind of. Um, manner so that's just a manner Europeans do very much more kind of avoid so so basically we obviously then kind of use it more to like you say as a, as a method or act to get drunk rather than kind of something to enjoy as such I know obviously a lot of people say well I enjoy beer I you know but you don't you don't enjoy it in the moment for what it is in moderation you enjoy beer and over consume in the same way as it's effectively binge binge behaviours um, Europeans don't do that obviously well i mean obviously we're talking generalizations here aren't we but europeans tend to have it with a meal and just enjoy it for what it is in that moderation type approach i think that's the difference in terms of like why this conversation is quite important to talk about i think because that almost says right that should be the normal way of consuming things like alcohol or food in moderation in line with a kind of like a healthy manner but that's almost now like not the considered normal like you say the normal now is very much the the kind of the common thing as in times what is now common in terms of like it's common to drink and get off your fucking tits all the time or it's common to eat junk food at every meal and like you say the reason that's kind of the case or the reason we know that's the case is because like you say when you go against that kind of commonality in terms of you know what we now see as common not normal you get ridiculed or you get asked questions like, eh, what? You don't drink alcohol? What are you drinking all that beer for? Or like that sort of thing. Or you don't want a brownie? You don't want, you know, I've had four already, but you don't want another one? What? You're like, Phew. 
I mean, I guess like this conversation came about with a client of mine, Kerry, that we spoke about in our check-in this week, where we were kind of, I can't remember how it came about, but she was talking about how she now has like a small, she made some homemade blondies. She said, they're amazing, they're incredible. And I said, yeah, send me some, please. <laughs> Obviously. But she said that she now has like a small, she said probably like two centimeter by two centimeter square of it now, sometimes after dinner to kind of satisfy some cravings and stuff. And she said, obviously, she wants more and could eat more, but she kind of just uses a bit of dietary or cognitive restraint and then therefore just kind of has that little bit to savour it and away she goes. And she said, that has made her more mindful because she sits down and enjoys it. She thinks about it. She takes the time um, and she kind of savour the textures, the taste, the smells, the flavours, all that type of stuff. And then kind of really gets more of it. And she said, she now feels far more satiated from that small amount than perhaps she used to eat. And this is no joke. She said, used to sit there in her job in a clinic and she'd sometimes eat three or four, like two packs, you know, like twelves, like two sticks. She'd eat three or four, like so eight sticks of twelves type thing. And she sometimes said she'd eat a third or fourth one and realise like I don't actually remember any of the taste of the previous ones because I ate them so quick and didn't even think about it. I was so mindless. Um, and we kind of talked about this idea of like reframing your expectations of what is normal, as in like it's normal to eat far less regular junk food than what it is. And I think if you align or manage your expectations in that, uh, oh, actually no. This is how I'm supposed to eat. I'm sp- the normal thing to eat is very much a lot less of these types of foods rather than the normal thing is to have it all the time like is common with people now. And I think if you don't reframe it, you get left a bit disappointed at some point. And I guess that's because if you don't reframe it, like a lot of people that go through yo-yo periods of dieting and kind of losing weight, gaining weight over a number of months or years of their life, say, that's I think that's sometimes the problem. And we spoke about it, didn't we, around behavior change and lifestyle change. Like, if you don't reframe that, that you have that it's a permanent lifestyle change, it's a permanent behavior change in terms of like your expectations of what a normal diet, you know, in, in air quotes, a normal diet has to change. And if it doesn't, you'll just go back to the same behaviors and lifestyle you did previously and put on all the weight again. Yeah, because I think people think they can go from whatever they were originally, change whatever they're going to change to get the results they want. And then they think then these changes, they can just put them away and then just go back. Oh, just stop, yeah. It don't work like that. This is lifestyle change, the forever lifestyle, not just a lifestyle change for the duration until you get to whatever goal you've got. It's forever. Like, I was once 18, so and seven. For me now, I would have to be, and I'd have to be actively and consciously stupid every day to get there. But I obviously, I've obviously changed the way I behave because I'm whatever, I'm three and a half, so I'm like that now. I've had to change the way I behave forever. But so, so now, it's, it would be alien to me now to eat like that to get to that weight. Whereas for a lot of people, it's not alien to eat like that and they could easily gain a stone or two. Like, uh-huh. I would have to actively be stupid for months and months and months and months on end yeah. daily. Uh, this is where I think the reframing and the expectation type thing is important because I guess what that changes is almost the point you just made about feeling alien. So if you re- if you change and reframe your expectations from the start around lifestyle change and behavior change in that this is a forever thing, it's a lifestyle change that has to like by default or definition end up being for life, then you kind of aren't expecting to then change your behaviors over time and that you expect that there are things that are going to carry on um and that then the that doesn't then feel alien for you to continue those habits it actually probably feels alien the other way a bit like the point you're making like you almost have to force yourself now to feel alien to kind of go back to your own behaviors and con- and therefore condition because obviously that's not now the normal for you um whereas with people that don't reframe them the alien is the dieting part like this is like this isn't normal oh my god i'm dieting i'm kind of just going through this period that i'm gonna like just want to get through and get done and then when i'm done i'm going to go back to normal because obviously i don't want to feel alien anymore but therefore obviously that then kind of reverses the outcome of the all the good achievements that you've made and obviously you kind of go back and you know i think this was partly triggered by like i say a conversation with, the, with with my client kerry around kind of just reframing kind of the normality or what normal eating should look like but also triggered by seeing someone that I know, um, have to just see someone I know that had lost a lot of weight previously. And it was only today when I sent you a voice message when I said that I'd just seen someone that I knew uh, that had just put on loads of weight. And that individual had lost like kilos and kilos and kilos, like such a, that one of the most dramatic transformations you've seen. 
they'd lost you know like, i don't even know how much but 20 30 40 kilos potentially like a lot of weight um and to see him now thinking like obviously they basically put all that back on again obviously it's quite heartbreaking to think of the amount of time and effort and kind of change that are taken but it just shows you really that if you don't kind of accept expect that those lifestyle habits have to kind of go on forever then inevitably that will happen you will undo the work and go back to that original lifestyle again because it's kind of because you know we talked about the genetic drivers and the things that drive us if you've been overweight before things like your natural way of eating appetite regulation all those sort of things will be more difficult than someone that's always been thin unfortunately that is just kind of naturally a thing and you can't really avoid that so it does mean that if you've ever been overweight before you probably have to have a higher level of dietary restraint cognitive restraint and basically just kind of you're always going to have a low level kind of use of not willpower but i can't think of another term at the moment but that's kind of, i guess that's where more the, the cognitive dietary restraint is that's kind of willpower really i guess um Whereas a lean person might not, or a person that's always been lean doesn't have to do that because they don't have to think about how they eat. It just naturally falls in their normal preferred way of eating, just manages their weight nicely. And unfortunately, they're up for, for anyone that is obese or has been obese in the time. It's not you. You don't have that lucky genetics. So you have to work a bit harder than other people. But that's just the way it is. And I think that's, again, something that people have to accept over the longer term that if you're overweight or have been overweight before, you're probably going to have to work a bit harder to maintain your weight than someone that hasn't but that comes down with a reframe of the lifestyle change again accepting that your lifestyle change and behavior change has to be forever and there'll always be a level of like you're not going to be able to just add libitum free again probably you're going to have to use some form of restraint but it becomes easy easier 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 become very easy it's like for me now when i go shopping because I work shifts, we, the kids don't, don't generally come with me. So I decide what we're going to have. Obviously, me and Charlie will have whatever. We get our basic. There's always food, veg, meat, yogurts, all that sort of stuff. Oats, cereal for the kids. But like, I, I very rarely buy biscuits and chocolate. Chocolate. Well, I don't ever buy bars of chocolate ever. Literally never. I used to eat them a lot. But that's a simple thing. It's not. There's no. To me, there's no. Restraint and you not buying something in a shop when you're going full job in. Just so I want to, I don't buy it because I know, I know that if there's a dairy milk bar in there, I'll, I'll pick it. So I just don't have it. Hmm. So no, but there, 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 I mean, but there, there is still some restraint. I think people like a lot of people would argue that and say like, I still have to use restraint to not buy it in a shop. Obviously, you're it's you're not- almost setting up your environment there to manage. Well, yeah, you're, you're managing your environment there to kind of help you in your endeavours of more healthier like lifestyle, aren't you? By just yeah. not buying the stuff and having it at home, therefore you're not tempted or do it when when it's sitting around in the fridge the entire time. But yeah. you still have to have the restraint or the kind of level of yeah restraint in the shop to not buy in the first place. And I guess that's a little bit what I mean by when I said the term like obese or people that have struggled with their weight will probably always have some form of low level restraint or will use of willpower like throughout their life and I, that's the sort of thing i mean in that if i just ate if i didn't think about food and i didn't think about what i was eating why i was eating and all these types of things and i just ate what i wanted when i wanted i would i would put on weight no doubt because that's just kind of generally my history and my genetics all that type of stuff so i will always have to have some form or level of kind of restriction that's the only way i can put it a dietary restraint let's let's just keep referring to it as that um and cognitive restraint is keeping fantastic as well uh and i think that's that's kind of the, what i mean i'll always have to have that otherwise i'll just kind of go back and put on weight over time and i'll look back in a year's time and think fucking hell what's happened to me um which is what happened to a lot of other people i think which is you know they look back and think oh i didn't realize i let myself go and i've got to go through all that whole period again and that exacerbates the problem through the yo-yo periods as we've talked about enough times so i think you kind of have to accept that that's a thing but i just what well, we do want to reiterate the point what you said though but it does get easier because the more I think a couple of things, you know, the set point, settling point theory around having a bit of a thermostat that manages the amount of body fat you hold, you know, going back to even Guinea's book, actually, and the lipostat and that type of thing. That, although there's no real scientific evidence for it as such, I do think that the longer you hold a weight for, the easier it becomes. And whether that's just because you you kind of, in, I need to say inbred, but that's not the right word. Uh, what's the, you inhabit the, like, deeper, strong, yeah ingrained probably yeah sorry that's probably the right word 
ingrained kind of more behaviors and ingrain more things that just kind of then run on autopilot that you don't have to think about quite so much then i guess they're the things that kind of keep you a bit more on the straight and narrow you gotta do yeah which makes it easier what i mentioned earlier is about the shopping thing it's a significantly significantly easier to say no at the shop than it is to say no as in the fridge yeah well at the shop you've got a moment of just yes or no in the fridge you've got every single time you're sitting at home knowing that's in the fridge or opening the fridge getting the milk and you see the chocolate yeah most people know whether it be all all the well i say the the, the more expensive type supermarkets tesco's sings breeze morrison's you know where the chocolate aisle is and it's gen I, I know they're dotted around as well for fucking reason but you know where the main aisle is of chocolate is just don't fucking go there you so know- then you take away you take away a further choice because you're making a choice not to go into the aisle to make a choice. Mm. I think the chocolate, I think because one of the uh, global uh, guidelines set, oh no, that's the right word, one of the kind of like the the, the, the national, oh my God, speak Hadley, what the fuck is going on? My bro, I think my brain's just in overdrive and it's kind of thinking of too many things at once. But actually I think one of the public interventions that the government have put in place anyway is that in supermarkets, the shit food has to be more in, like in the end now, if you notice in most tesco's morrison's and sainsbury stuff now all the chocolates in like the far corner away from the entrance um and obviously like your fruits and vegetables are generally the first things you see um so obviously whether that helps or not i don't know but i mean i, I do i agree with your point as in like yes it's it, it, if you it, i don't always think managing your environment is always everything in terms of well, everything, no. and the reason no, i mean and the reason i say that is because i think right it's kind of putting a plaster over your problem. Like managing the environment will help because obviously it will put a plaster over the problem. It'll make it easier because obviously if you manage your environment, you don't have access to this stuff or you're kind of decreasing the amount of temptation you have because you're not seeing it all the time and stuff like that. Then yeah, I guess that feels like a logical thing to do and will probably help in the short term. But I don't think it's actually really tackling these, the actual problems. It's more dealing with the symptoms and that the actual problem as to why you crave and the problem as to why you want all these foods or you kind of always want to eat these stuff is something that needs to be worked out too if that yes. makes sense so i don't i don't always think managing environments the always the best thing in the same way as like you know if you talk about intuitive eating type of healing behaviors and i use that word quite uh, like healing i use that word quite purposefully you would probably expose people to foods rather than avoid them as in like the idea of managing environment would be to avoid them the idea of anything else would be actually expose them in the way like if someone says like i really crave a chocolate muffin well, someone in the intuitive eating world might say, okay, have that every day then. Have one every day for the next 30 days or 60 days, however long you want one. And by day 15, you're like, I'm fucking bored of this chocolate muffin now. I don't even want it anymore. And I guess that's obviously a different alternative. Now, clearly, the intuitive eating aspect is more around feel, like, obviously feelings and more around supporting and fixing your relationship with foods and less about I'm trying to lose weight or not about trying to lose weight, let's be honest. So... I guess they have different drivers for doing it, but it doesn't mean either is wrong necessarily. It depends on which camp you sit in or what your views are on it all. But it does, talking with this, it does really show that just counting macros or telling people to be in a calorie deficit or just focusing on that type of thing purely just to get weight loss most of the time want to keep it off people for the rest of their life if you are not incorporating things like you know mindful eating food environment understanding when you're hungry when you're bored all that sort of the the psychological aspect of dieting if you don't address the psychological aspect of dieting the chances of someone sustaining long-term weight loss i would say is very slim yeah i agree i actually agree and i think that's a really 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 strong point as in you almost right i guess this is why and i'm sure you agree why our our coaching styles are very holistic for a wanky word as in like we've we've certainly kind of evolved the way we do stuff haven't we over the past few years in the way what we speak about what we kind of focus as priorities now with clients is far less weight loss driven and far i mean obviously it doesn't mean that weight loss isn't included but it's far less weight loss driven and kind of far more around the psyche and relationship sides of kind of nutrition than anything because 
you can teach people stuff in terms of habits, routines and nutrition fundamentals and things. But if you don't fix the fucking emotional, psychological and um, yeah, the, the emotional and psychological issues. And I'm not saying like from a therapist, like, oh yeah, I've got a fucking therapist, therapist. No, not by any stretch. But basically we can, we do try and help people with their relationships with foods and get them to think about kind of why they eat and why they eat certain ways. Because obviously that does seem, lend, seem to lend itself better for people then fixing the problem less than just kind of masking the problem with fixing the symptoms that's all you're doing by by teaching someone to kind of eat protein and thinking at a meal that kind of just masks the symptoms a lot of time and obviously when they then fall off the wagon and stop doing that they then just get straight back to the same problem happening putting on weight this is why it also comes with the client as well they need to understand that yes they may want to lose x amount of weight or fit into particular clothes or look good for an all day or whatever they they need to surrender themselves to this is not just a temporary thing. This has to be a lifelong change. And but obviously this is Mark. This is Mark doing his job. Isn't it? I mean, no one should ever go for 12 weeks this, 10 weeks that, 8 weeks this. Because they don't work. They work short term, they don't work long term. There was a point in you know, it's like when logging was a point of being rich for three months, would you be rich for the rest of your life? Surely you'd rather the latter, wouldn't you? Like yeah. I'd rather be in shape for the rest of my life than be... Obviously, you can deviate a little bit. Either way, that's just natural where you are. But you shouldn't be going from, like, 18 stone to 12, back to 16, back to 12, mm. whatever. You know what I mean? Over the long term. Yeah. No, no, I absolutely agree, mate. I, absolutely, I think that's spot on. Um another reason why again you no know, ditch things like the photo shoot packages we used to do and kind of some of the the fat loss groups that we used to do because they're just all time dependent and don't really drive the longer term behavior as much as, mu- as much as they're kind of sold and like we did as well didn't we let's be honest we sold them as a way like you still learn and you still get the education in terms of what you're doing and i guess there is an element of that in terms of like people learn what calorie deficit is and they kind of learn some of the habits stuff that do help manage appetite of course they do but i don't think it really gets the nitty-gritty of problems of why people eat the way they eat and you just can't fix. You just don't fix that in a four-week shred or a eight-week, you know, fucking premium plus fat loss pan or whatever you do you want to call it nowadays, or a photo shoot transformation package type thing. Just th- those things just lend themselves to short-term drivers of what are probably too rapid or too aggressive poor behaviours without the support at the end of it. Because let's be honest, like you you drive a photo shoot package where people get even if they get a really good result in terms of a you know air quotes a, a good result of a fat loss transformation. If you don't have, if you don't take them on as a client afterwards, and then really start to support them in the other things with an exit plan and trying to get them to kind of work back the behaviours and kind of implement longer, um, more emotionally secure uh, support afterwards, I don't think that you really then get, or you, I don't think you're then really going to ever get a good result in the longer term for people, and that they're they're only going to really probably then be driven into poor behaviours that just exacerbate their original problems that they had before they come to you so you know and it even even worse and there's a lot of talk about or some talk about it anyway depends, i suppose it depends if maybe it's our own little echo chamber i don't know but obviously people driving down the oh photo shoots are shit and you shouldn't do this because obviously they just cause more long-term problems than they than anything they're actually part of the issue um and i don't necessarily agree with all of it but i do agree that yes there is a huge risk for those types of stuff especially when it's gamified when there's fucking prizes and stuff offered to really kind of ramp up the gamification of it um i don't think necessarily a good thing because i just think it's a bit like you know people's ideas of very low calorie diets like everyone's immediately goes like they're shit and they don't work and i don't think they are very good and i don't think they work however it doesn't mean they can't work in in certain contexts and occasions and circumstances like the, you know the newcastle study around um a very low calorie diet for treating diabetic patients in a clinical setting that's a bit different there because all of a sudden like there is a level of support and ongoing yeah, level, a level of support during an ongoing education afterwards, which is supposed to then help those individuals have an exit plan to re- get away from them the low-code diet and something more sustainable in the longer term. That's a bit different than someone just coming in doing a four-week transformation in a, on a fucking shake diet type thing. Yeah, nothing ever is or isn't for everybody. It's like photo shoots, I would say for the majority of the of general population, and, and 
are probably not a good thing long term. However, there is a subset of the population, like your 22-year-old bloke, no stress, no worries, never in the shoe of food, never no, nothing. Yeah, exactly. No issues with food relationships, Once again, a photo shoot condition, the chances of him having issues after probably, it may happen, who knows, but slim. So the point is, it's like the fitness energy is very much, if it suits in it, a very low calorie diet is shit until Lyle McDonald says, actually, it's good in these settings. Oh, yeah, but it is good. But no, it's good in particular scenarios. It's like everything's good in particular scenarios, isn't it? It's like we we talk about mindful eating. There's people out there who don't need to be taught it because they do it anyway. Yeah, just by pure nature and upbringing and genetics. This is, I think the old conversation sort of hits on why you need to, we need, you need to talk. It's, you could be very careful how you talk to kids even early on in their life. Like I've had this conversation with guys in the past, not to say you should be doing this with kids, they just brought it up. And I'm like, if a kid is says, I don't want it anymore, how many times people are forcing to eat it? And you, I'm like, and you're going, it's hard to understand it if it's, someone, if it's a toy you want to play with. You're like, are they just doing it because they want to play with that toy? You go, that's the thing they're doing it. Like I say, are you full then, Eliza? And she goes, yes, I'm full. And I go, right, no problem, I'll just leave it. Because you're going to, I know it's hard, and obviously I'm not perfect by any stretch, but that's why those sort of interactions as a child, people don't think this is true. Those interactions as a child will take them into adulthood, and that's what. Mm-hmm. How often was you told as a kid, you've got to eat all our food to think of the kids in Africa? And, but everybody said, those people said that. I'm like, and I remember that now. Yeah. Like, is is that really helping a child have a good relationship with food long term? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Food. She must eat it. Well, is it really worth? And not saying this. I get like again, it's not is or isn't for everybody in it. It may not affect a kid at all in later life. It might be lean. Never worry about it. But then it will affect a lot of people. And it starts from school as a kid, the parents. If every parent could nail nutritional psychology when they're kids, then the literally the next generation we'd go from having we'd have a significant reduction in the obesity rate in the next generation. Mm. Do you know something quite uh, upsetting and damning for a lot of parents, and certainly from for like my perspective, it feels like oh my god. But Danny Lennon on Sigma Nutrition Radio this week had a professor. Marion Hetherington, I think her name is, and she's some sort of psychologist, I think, but a psychologist, and she had a lot of, she'd done a lot of research in kind of like child nutrition, so less on the kind of nutrition side, but although there was some of the nutrition, as in terms of like actually what they're physically eating, but more around like psychology and stuff. She was talking about how basically kids evolve or determine their kind of eating preferences and habits in the first five years, and after that point, basically they don't change that much. That's what the evidence seems to suggest. So from the point of like, they drink, I don't know what it is, but some like ridiculous, they drink like, I don't know, a cup of ambiotic fluid every day or something like that, I don't know. And I guess like the tastes and flavours of what the mother's eating affects the ambiotic fluid. Same way as obviously when they're born, breastfeeding, and obviously what the mother eats and stuff. So she's obviously saying like, the mother's exposure to certain foods, fruits, vegetables, tastes, flavours will affect the baby's behaviours and habits as it grows up. Uh, as will the stuff it then eats obviously between the years of zero to five and obviously they're saying like if basically if a, if a child doesn't eat fruits and vegetables say in that period you're probably not going to get them to eat much over that period and not going to change their preference that much so you're pretty fucked if you do if, they, if your child's got shit eating habits up to about the age of five that's it it's probably going to be them for the rest of their life now obviously it's quite a sweeping statement and i'm mm. sure there are outliers where people do change their habits but that's pretty damning, isn't it? To think, oh shit, because obviously, especially mine, I've got one child who's pretty damn fussy. Barely eats a vegetable. Will eat fruit for the most part, and fruit, I guess, being higher carb, higher sugar, sweeter, is a bit more palatable to kids. You do yeah. tend to find kids have better better luck of eating at least fruit than they would do certain vegetables. But like Molly will barely eat a vegetable. It makes you think, fuck, I've got another three years to try and change those habits. Otherwise, I don't want her to grow up with poor food relationships or poor eating habits. I'm. I, I'm, from my point of view, I'm quite happy with that statement. Yeah, because you've got, you've got a child who's obviously reasonably well 
versed in variety and food stuff like summer was the same summer was summer eats pretty well we'll try and eat most things now like you know if i ask her to try some most times she'll try it without thinking too much about it um she might not like everything she eats but she'll at least try them whereas molly's like no chance like even things i know she's gonna like she won't try like even things i know she's eaten before and she's like she still sometimes won't even eat now because like she's just like yeah no yeah i'm like fucking hell you ate this a week ago what what the hell uh, it's frustrating as a parent but um no i just go back to the original point i agree like child nutrition is really difficult and we're obviously not experts in pediatrician in the slightest so we shouldn't really be kind of talking with any authority like take me i'm a comedian and i'm a ufc cage fighter don't take my opinion as gospel um <laughs> i'm not a, a ufc the uh, fighter comedian slash whatever you know i might do a bit of jiu-jitsu now <laughs> doesn't mean i have no authority but anyway um yeah uh, it's just it is difficult like you should, i don't you ne- don't ever talk about diet in front of your kids don't ever talk about calories in front of your kids um try don't talk about the specifics of weight weight effect and weight loss and that type of stuff i try to t- talk more around like these foods will make you strong or to kind of talk the p- positive aspects of why to eat foods rather than demonizing why you shouldn't eat other foods um you know so kind of try and create some balance there and just kind of expose them to the right foods rather than try and remove the wrong foods if that makes sense I yeah. think I think an exposure and an inclusion diet is far better than trying to promote any type of exclusion or or kind of removal of stuff because basically if you just surround them by as many like well, you know we try to do it with Molly but it just doesn't work very well but try and give her the opportunity and surround her with fruits and vegetables she just doesn't you just can't get them to eat them that's the problem um, so it's not foolproof by any stretch but I still think it's a better outcome than just trying to avoid and completely restrict saying, oh you're not having you're not ever having cake or you're not ever having chocolate or whatever else because I think that just then creates worse relationships in the long run. Anyway, gone off topic a little bit, haven't we? Yeah, I think it still it still relates to the topic of because our as a as a as a population as a Western society, our relation with food and junk and shit in general is terrible, absolutely terrible. That's and because that's because we normalised it. And, and and what I don't like, you've seen a lot. I don't like when I was a kid. I imagine when you are, people, most people didn't brag about being lazy. Like you, I know you scroll through Facebook and you see shit. And I've seen a few things really. I'm a lazy man when I'm proud of him. Like, um, right? Why? No, you know, you shouldn't be proud of being lazy, as you. Oh, I just let I just let the kids. I just let my kids um, eat what they want for pack lunch. I'm like, also, I just take Nutella and chocolate and crisps of them again. Just irritated me. I'm like, you're just. I'm like, the state of the country of obesity, and you, you're doing that. You are not helping the situation at all. Then you get all the mothers in. Yeah, I work ten hour days, and I can't be bothered either. So you lazy fucks. That's what I think. I think I work twelve hour days, and go to the gym, and consider the manager of Parkland tomorrow. So don't give me that bullshit. But but that is the attitude people have got towards their children's nutrition. So what they like for their own nutrition, they obviously don't give a fuck, do they? But that is one of the perpetuating cycles of shift, isn't it, all the time? Yeah, you know what the problem is? So, whatever. Yeah, you know what the problem is, though, right? What? Just because they're wet wipes. No, right, they're fucking hard. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, right, we're done an hour, mate. I think we'll wrap it up now. Um, I said I could do a short one tonight, and I've ended up with a nice long one. Whee! Bounce, bounce, bounce. I want to shout out something for a friend. So, uh, Sean... Samanini, uh, aka Sean at Next Step Nutrition, um, aka the dude that was on The Voice UK last series, really good fucking country singer, just released his first fucking single, boy. Um, and I, yeah, he's stories earlier on. Yes, that's actually it's a banger if you like country and like upbeat kind of just easy listening music, absolutely banger. Um, and I thought obviously support your homies and. Um, it's called Stuck On You. If you can all do me a favour and go to your uh, you know, streaming service, like most of you probably have Apple Music or Spotify or whatever, and just give it a little stream or two maybe, just help him out, because um, it's nice to share the love. So, uh, in fact, should I just play a little bit? Yes. My home, my everything All the joy that you bring Coffee in the morning so Good voice, isn't he? Lazy, I love, love it. Yes, I love it. All stuck in the middle of you. No, stuck on you. Sean Samanini. 
Right, I'll stop it now because obviously people don't need to listen to Tarzan. But I just thought shout them out, it'd be nice to give them a little little bump and hopefully get a few extra streams or downloads or buys or whatever. Um, plus also, to be fair, I actually think it's a banger tune. It's just really nice, easy listening. And I was listening to it this morning because it only came out this week, like day, a couple of days ago or yesterday it might have been. I thought, perfect Sunday morning, sun shining, you know, like nice, nice, that kind of just, just generally soft, still kind of feeling you get in an early morning sitting there drinking a coffee thinking, this is fucking lovely listening to this just sitting here um so yeah go give it a listen if you can um if you like our podcast rate review subscribe all that stuff please um and buy your cheese as always so other than that i have nothing left to say jonathan anything you want to say no <laughs> uh succinct as ever well done cheers boys bye Thank you for listening to the NNN podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please help us by rating on your podcast provider, sharing with your networks so we can get our content out to more people. See you next week.